Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. I'm joined today by James Carroll. James, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. It's Friday. It's six o'clock in the evening in the UK. So I'm going to finish this podcast and I'm going to go for a pint of lager and drink it in front of my sister who's pregnant and wind her up about the fact that she can't drink. <laughs> Ooh, that's evil. I love it, but it's evil. <laughs> Listen, so for everyone listening, so James back in 2014 was a solutions advisor. He then went on to be uh, an information security engineer for Secure Network Technologies. And I've known James for a while, and James is now running his own company called Hackett Cyber. He's the co-founder and the principal, and I'm really excited to unpack his journey. I know a lot of people listening to the show on a regular basis have had that thought process of, hang on, I'm a head of or I'm a senior. What is it really like to set up your own business? How hard is it? How stressful is it? How do you pay taxes? How do you incorporate stuff? So in this episode, we're going to really get under the bonnet of uh, James's business, find out about the bits that are great, find out about the bits that are good, and just find out what it's actually really like to run a security business in, in New York. But uh, James, I've done you a little bit of an intro. I never think I could do it as well as you. If you don't mind telling me and the listeners what you're up to on a day-to-day basis, mate, and what you've been up to professionally, that'd be great. Oh man, day-to-day basis. Whew. Lately, I know we were talking about this early, I got a four-month-old daughter at home, so that's been a lot of my day-to-day lately. A lot of changing diapers, doing stuff like that. Professionally, it's all over the map, right? And I think we're going to be unpacking that a lot throughout the course of this podcast of what, what I actually do now on a per, from a professional basis. But started pen testing about a decade ago now, really was in sales before I did pen testing. So like I did a lot of sales. My background's a little bit of sales, a little bit of finance, a little bit of business operations. And I went heavy into pen testing and the technical aspect. And now I have my own company, seven employees. And yeah, I'm basically, I like to say, Thomas, I like to say I'm the easy button, right? It's like whenever someone needs something, hey, James, can you look into this tax thing? They hit the easy button and they slack me, right? It's just, I'm just, just if we can't figure it out, James will. So it's just, I, but I think that's part of being a being the business owner is like you are that easy button for your employees so yeah i like to say right now i'm the professional version of the easy button yeah cool mate thanks for that and more questions are just like coming into my mind because obviously you've mentioned the word sales there i think like when you start your own business obviously a big part of it is sales like acquiring clients and stuff like that and we're, we're going to get into that in, in a second but mate, the first thing i want to ask is like, you sat there you, you're pen testing you're hacking away you're working for someone else so when did the thought come into your mind to when Hackett was actually incorporated? Was that quite a long journey? Was it spur of the moment? What, what, how did that manifest? Yeah, it's always, I, I like to think I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset throughout my whole life. And I've been fortunate where throughout my career, I've been put in situations where my role has fulfilled that for the most part, where I never really felt the need of, hey, let me go out and do my own thing. Um but everything's temporary. As you get older, as you go through your career, you start wanting more. And I think that's the crossroads that I hit was I'm like, I like my job. I like, I like what I'm doing, but I, there, there's always something more. And for me, it's having my own thing, right? Having my own baby. Because your whole career when you're working for someone else, you're really taking care of someone else's baby. And I want my own, right? I want my own thing I can breathe life into that I can have all my creative freedom go around. And 
really do things my own way, right? Do it the way I want to do it, market it the way I want to do it, do what I think's right and see if it works. And I think a lot of people, I hope a lot of people listening to this podcast resonate with that where it's, I don't want to be 70 years old and look back and be like, I never, I never even tried to start my own business, right? I never even, yeah, I always wanted to, but here I am 70 years old, retired, and it's just a pipe dream, right? At least go out and give it a shot. At some point, you materialize that and you're like, I think I'm ready to take the jump. And that's that's really what went through my head during that whole process. Yeah, thanks, mate. And look, obviously, hacker, nonconformist, wants to do it. It's like, it, that makes a, a lot of sense. And I can imagine kind of happiness level, maybe stress levels increase, but I can imagine happiness levels increase when you've got that autonomy but James, I, re- I do, yeah, I really want to get on this because look, seven pen testers, a team of seven. I'm imagining like life's pretty good. If you're keeping seven of you busy, that's nice from a financial perspective. I'm imagining it's nice that like, you've got full autonomy. But can you tell us a, a bit more about that transition? Like, where do I start? So, like, I'm employed, I'm pen testing. Like, how do I actually, can we get a little bit granular? Like, how do I do it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to preface it with, it's not the right move for everyone. And when you're in this industry for a while, you you realize there's a couple different types of pen testers. And each of them have their own role, right? There's nothing wrong with any of them. There's the pen testers that are uber technical, uber smart, but all they want to do is hack. Where it's like, hey, I want to be fed. I want, I want work fed to me. I want to crush jobs. I want to do really cool stuff. The whole sales, revenue, profit thing just doesn't get them up in the morning. And that's perfectly fine. If if you're someone, do I think someone like that can go out and start their own business on their own? They might be able to, but if you are that guy, you better have someone with you who knows the sales and knows the operations and knows the business aspect, especially if it's something that you don't love to do. Because whether you think so or not, when you go and start your own business, you're going to be doing a lot of that. You're probably going to be doing more of that than you will be pen testing. If you are a guy where, you know, like I said earlier, if you are your company's easy button, if you are the single source of truth and the expert on all things technical, all things sales, all things business, right? If you have the salespeople coming to you asking you questions on how to scope something, how many hours something's going to take, writing a statement of work for something. If you have the engineers coming to you saying, hey, how do I do this? Hey, what do I do on this job? Hey, how do I test a Kubernetes cluster? If you have operations coming to you and marketing coming to you saying, hey, how do I do this? I think at that point, you're in a strong position to go and start your own firm. And I would say if you're the rainmaker, if you're the engineer and you're also the rainmaker, you're in a very strong position to have a good start at a successful firm. Thanks, mate. I like that. So what we're saying is it would be great to learn all these things on someone else's watch, make sure you can do it. And then once you've done all those things you've said, you can wear any hat and really back yourself and rely on yourself and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I just want to talk about when I think about my clients, even in this market, I know you're busy, James. And when I think about some other businesses that I know right now that are really busy, I often see that the founders, co-founders, that the, the, the client facing and they like dealing with clients. And I think that's in my opinion. It's a big part of why they're busy. Can you talk to us about sales, client acquisition? If I'm sat here now going, you know what? I'm listening to James, seven people in and around New York. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty fun. That sounds pretty, pretty good, basically. But um, but I want to, how do you actually acquire clients? How do you find them? Where do you start? What's it all about? 
Yeah, no, that's that's the million dollar question, right? That's really what, when you talk about starting a firm, and I always say this all the time, like you can have, look at business as a whole, how many great products there were out there and how they failed. You could have really smart guys, you can have great engineers. If you don't have a good sales force to go and create those relationships with those customers and, and identify those needs, then it really doesn't matter how great your engineers are. That's just the harsh truth of it. You know, how we do it, we're fortunate enough to work primarily off referral basis. We go into a customer, we do a great job, we provide them really good value, especially in a niche, right? If you work through banks and healthcare, a lot of bank CISOs, no other bank CISOs, a lot of hospital CISOs, no other hospital CISOs. So if you go in and do a great job, they're more than likely going to refer you to someone else, maybe a peer that also needs a pen test. That's a lot of our business. A lot of our business is also through partners. We identify organizations like MSPs, MSSPs, compliancy firms that might not do pen testing, but their customers need pen testing. And we help their customers fulfill that need. So we work a lot with those partners to help execute those jobs for their customers. A lot of it's what you would call channel sales, where we're going through a channel partner, a partner to then reach that end customer but a lot of it's referral-based as well. Cool. I like that. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about setting your own business up, please be taking notes because this is really good. So just to break it down, so referrals is a big part. Very clever the second bit. You're, you're, you're looking at other businesses. You're basically looking at a business that isn't directly competing with you, but has got the same client. 100%. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And a lot of it, believe it or not, a lot of it is some of it's other pen testing companies. So companies and Thomas, it's the recruiting game and pen testers has been hot and cold over the past couple of years, especially in Q4 right now. It's the Q4 madness. Everyone needs, those customers need pen tests. Those companies need to scale. You can't hire, train and have a pen tester execute a job in three weeks. It's just not going to happen. So a lot of them need a bench. They need overflow and hack. It is that overflow for a lot of big time and big name pen test companies. Cool. Thanks, mate. I just want to break it down a bit further, James, and I know this is what people want to hear. So referrals, you said you get referrals. I know that's, I know from my own experience, when you get referrals, it's a wicked form of winning business because the kind of trust levels are there. A lot of the work's kind of done already. They've probably had a conversation about you already. You know, maybe half the work's done or some of the work's done. How do I get a referral? Like, so you've got a client, you've got a CISO at a bank. How do you get to the point of them going, Here's the intro. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, you watch like business podcasts and stuff like that. There's so many different things people say about referrals. One thing we never do is I'll never ask for a referral. Um, I'm like, we let our work speak for speak for itself. It's really, it, it comes down to is building that relationship with that customer and, and providing them with a product that they can't get anywhere else and providing it at a value that they can't get anywhere else. And you know, especially when you go into a regulated industry where most of our pen tests are, it's going to be banks, hospitals, healthcare. They've had pen tests before, right? You're not the first person going in there to do a pen test. If you go in there and blow their socks off and you do it at a value that they can't find anywhere else, why wouldn't they want to refer you, right? If they have, they are excited normally to tell their friends and their partners about what hack it's doing for them. And that's where most of our, that, when we talk about referrals, that's where it comes from. And from our standpoint, referrals are actually, they're almost more pressure because now it's like this guy that we know really well, we've done great work for, is putting his neck on the line for us. So now we got to go in there and do an absolutely amazing job for them. And then it just snowballs, right? Then you have these referral chains, like they call them, they're 10 people deep. 
And it's a great thing because, you know, talking a little about business for a second, like the close rate, like on a referral is almost a hundred percent. Like if you go in and you got a CISO that knows another CISO and you do a great work for them and that your name comes out of that CISO's mouth, you got a really good chance of winning that business. And you don't have to go through a three week RFP process and all these phone calls and bidding jobs. The word of mouth referrals, honestly, there's nothing better than that in the business world. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Very good form of business. James, I just want to take it back a little bit. You, When you transitioned from employee to running your own business, did you save some money? What was the downtime? How long did it take you to get your first piece of business? Was there a bit of a time where it was like, whoa, this is really scary? Or how did that play out? Yeah, that's a great question. I just sat down one day and the interesting part about that is it's, you don't know what to expect, right? You're like, I don't know if I'm going to make a million dollars my first year. I don't know if I'm going to make $20. You really have no clue, but that's part of the risk. And honestly, that's, you got to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. You'd be like, Hey, this, I want to go do this because it's just such a massive risk. Honestly, that was part of the fun. Like it sounds weird, but I don't, the unknown is so interesting to me where it was like, I don't know what to expect, knowing my track record, knowing what I'm capable of, knowing what my plan is with this business, knowing the need for it. I felt pretty confident going into it that what we do is going to be a pretty big demand for and that it's not only something that I believe in, something that I can hire employees that believe in. It's something that our customers believe in, that our future partners will believe in. So yeah, that was the mindset. It's like, you know, I think the fundamental thing is having a very strong belief in yourself, having a very strong belief in what your mission is and what your company is going to do and having a strong belief in that you can get other people on board, great consultants and great pen testers that work for you that share those same values and those beliefs. And I think if you have those three things right there, that's a pretty good recipe for success. And looking back, I didn't have all those three things at that time, but I was fairly confident that I'd get there in a pretty short amount of time. And that's exactly what we did. Mm, mate fair play to you mate i love that so just to summarize where we're up to at this point for the listeners so massively backed yourself huge levels of belief prepared to take a risk referrals are a big part of winning business establishing some par- uh, partnerships with through channel sales with mssps is a bit is a big deal and i think another point you made there which i think is massive is get three or four good people around you and i think that's a massive one i heard this on another podcast recently it was talking about when github first started they started they said who are the best three four engineers we know or who are the best people we know and the founder said something like why don't they just work here why aren't they working here but it's, i'd like to hear how you found those three or four people or support pillars that they I would imagine they are within the business. I imagine they make your life a lot easier. I imagine you you probably really, you, those guys need you and you need them kind of thing. What, how, how, how do you find those three or four people? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Luckily for me, it was uh, very easy to find those people. They were all part of my old team in prior companies, people I worked well with, people we meshed really well with. We already had not just like a great sense of camaraderie, a great sense of what we're doing in our mission, but we're also really good friends. It was great that we we're able to do that. It was like like picking things up and starting right back where we left off. It was hitting the ground running at 120 miles an hour. So in terms of bringing someone up to speed, or it is a big thing now, like cultural fits. Is this person a good cultural fit? We already knew each other. Like we knew each other very well. We knew each other's family, their kids, their wives. It it was 
an instant fit. And when I went and built my business, I'm like, like I had my team before I knew what roles I wanted to fill based on those team. There's no one better to fill those roles than the person I based that role off of. So we were fortunate enough to be able to retain and take a lot of that talent with us. And then obviously add on to that as well with new engineers and support people and operations people and salespeople to really augment our services and our business. Yeah. Thank you, mate. And that attitude you've taken at the start, I think is amazing because if we, I can't remember if we were breaking this down before James, or or maybe I've just imagined, I can't remember, but if there's four of you, well, one person's 25% of your culture, two is 50% of your company culture. So look, hiring's what I do with recruitment hiring. I'm passionate about it and I think it's absolutely vital. I'm not even going to go down the road of how much expensive a bad hire can be, but getting those first hires right is massive, mate. It's huge, isn't it? Critical, yeah. Even when you're a small business like us, it's every hire is critical. And like people are always like, like, Oh, why don't you take a shot on this guy? Or yeah, this guy, he's an IT admin, he's not a pen tester. Why don't you train him? Like we're a small company. If I was a hundred employees, yeah, I could probably take that risk, but we don't, we can't take a risk of hiring someone who isn't that we feel like not just the best technically, but the best fit for our organization. We, there's no room for error. So that's why we're, when we hire, we're insanely selective about who we hire. And I've hired people or I've interviewed people that were some of the best pen testers at other big firms. And we've had a lot of money budgeted for them, but they weren't a good fit for a company. And I, I think what's really important is being a pen tester at a coal fire versus being a pen tester at a small boutique shop are not the same. They're not the same at all. There's a different pace of which we work at and they work at. I like to think our quality of life in terms of how we operate our business is a lot better because we're a small company. We're a lot more agile. We're looking for someone really, we're looking for good technical people. We're looking for people who are entrepreneurs at heart to really add as much value as they can to hack it and help have a piece of their essence in our business. Like we, I want people that want to grow the business that I want their input to the business. I want them to contribute. I want to know what they think about every aspect, whether it's marketing or sales or engineering. And we want people that want that as well. Yeah. Thanks, James. So you're being more strategic from the start on the hiring side. You're being pretty strategic on your business development strategy as well. I think you're taking that partnership and that channel sales. That's a really, really good way to win business. And also, like you say, just thinking long-term, doing an exceptional job. Like I say, it might not mean you're going to win a new client next week, but over the course of the next one, two, three, five years, you're going to smash it. So yeah, no, I, I like it, my friend. So how long are you? Is it two years in now? Yeah, two, two years, years in. Yeah, it was like two years in last week, just over what's, two years. What's been the shittiest moment? What's been the most stressful bit? <laughs> <laughs> there are moments that were definitely stressful. Yeah, there's it's a roller coaster, right? Like, I do truly feel people are like, oh, it must be really hard. I'm like, honestly, dude, like the highs have been pretty high. The lows haven't been that low. And, but you don't, that's no way to operate. Or you can't be like, oh, so the low, like you always plan for the worst. So you always have that in mind. And I think part of that is, you know, just your business model, right? What we do is we outsource a lot of things you don't want to do. And from as a business owner, there's a lot of things, especially when you come from being a pen tester that you don't want to do. I don't think you can go to that a pen tester and be like, Hey, you know what? I bet you would love to do taxes. Like I bet you would absolutely love to go through 
all the expenses and code them and put them in there. You know what I also love? I bet you'd love to run payroll. I bet you wake up in the morning after you hack into 15 networks and say, you know what I want to do tonight at 12 p.m. is I want or at midnight is I want to run payroll. There's stuff like that. Part of doing what I do is figuring out what I like to do, figuring out what I not like. I don't like doing and then outsourcing it because at the end of the day, that's going to keep especially as a small business owner, that's going to keep you do waking up and looking forward to what you want to do that next day. And you have great people and different partners and vendors that are taking care of your payroll and your taxes and all the stuff that you don't really want to do, but it also helps you stay lean. And I think that's a big part. I think a lot of, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, especially since COVID happened, you're stuck in big offices. You have a lot of all these crazy expenses. We're very lean. We're very flexible, very agile that not only helps us on an operation standpoint, but when we work with partners, those partners understand that we're a team of young, hungry, lean engineers. We're growing a business. We want our partners to win because that's when we win. And that's a fundamental misunderstanding. I think a lot of business owners that are in the boomer age, maybe they're jaded from 40 years of bad business practices, but they don't have that mindset. Whereas we do, and I think that's a big advantage for us. Yeah, cool, mate. Thank you, buddy. James, if I'm listening now and I've, maybe I, I own a large MSSP, what, what type of businesses? I know we've talked about this a bit already, but is there anything else in the terms of the types of partners you're looking for? Anything you can tell me about how those partnerships work that could be advantageous for people listening and, and, and good for yourself as well? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, typically... The first part of the partnership is identifying if you're a correct MSP. If you're a five-employee MSP, it's probably not a great fit. And that's just because typically smaller MSPs are working with customers with 10 to 20 endpoints, with my endpoints computers. By all means, we can do pen tests for them. There's companies out there that will go and say they're going to go and solve solve world hunger with a 20 IP pen test. It's just not going to happen. There's just not enough assets to provide the level of value that we think we want to provide. And honestly, when you're that small of a customer your money is probably better spent elsewhere. So if you're a five-person MSP and probably not the right move, if you're a 50 and up person MSP where you're starting to break into the really medium-sized business, enterprise business, that's really where you should start looking for a Pentest partner. And yeah, you know, finding the right partner is huge. And there's a lot of the MSPs we talk to, yeah, our partner is charging $450 an hour and our customers can't afford that. So finding an affordable partner is, is a huge piece of that. And finding a partner that, is a partner. There's a lot of partners out there that they just, they want to shake a stick at you and tell you you're doing a bad job. Whereas we truly want to help our partners get better. If I go into an MSP and they're managing a network and I have findings, I want to show them how to fix it. I want to do everything I can to help them fix it. And then I want to make sure they roll it out to all their other customers because at the end of the day, like our mission is to stop hackers. We exist because hackers suck. And when hackers win, we all lose. And the only way to do that is really by spreading the word about what we do, by telling people how our, what our findings are, by sharing that, by empowering MSPs and partners to have the best capabilities possible when it comes to remediation and identifying vulnerabilities. And honestly, why wouldn't you want to do that? If, mm. And that's another part about starting a business is people think it's all about profit and money. That's a big part of it. If you're not a profitable business, you can't exist. In terms of fulfillment, money is a short-term objective. It has to be more than that. And I think we found that. Yeah, and for anyone listening that thinks it is about money, you've, you, you're just going to get a really rude awakening because you, you you think it is when you've 
perhaps haven't got any, but then you get some and it's like the biggest anticlimax ever. And then it all circles back to the mission and the purpose. It, it's a hundred percent. I've worked with my under companies where profit was the biggest motivating factor and it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun to be part of those companies. And you you might be a senior pen tester somewhere and you're getting paid buku dollars, but like I said, at the end of the day, money is a short-term objective, right? Money comes and goes. In three months, when you forget about that sick bonus you got or that raise you got, you're still going to be reaching out to Thomas looking for another job, right? That's just the reality of it. It has to go deeper than that. So what it comes down to is fulfillment, right? And it's people always think it's money. It's not money. Sometimes it's about company mission, company objective. Your part, if you're being a small cog in a big wheel, a lot of people don't like that. And that's why they go and start their own shop. And it's certainly why myself and Eric started Hackett. I think as well, mate, it's the unquantifiable as well. If you are just a profit center, I think it shows in the work. I think it gets around the industry. And I do think over time, probably gets harder to win business. Probably you're talking about here, partnerships, referrals, that they're probably quite hard, going to be quite hard things to maintain if you're just trying to absolutely just squeeze everything all the time. So I just feel like it's like the rule of the universe. If you do things properly over time, I just think it's I, I, it's, a, it's a nicer way to operate. It's, a, it's way more fun. Even if we get into like staff retention and stuff like that, like not retaining your staff and stuff like that, that that's expensive. Do you know what I mean? It's, if you're replacing people every five minutes and having to pay through the nose for people and stuff like that because the culture is bad and... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I think as well in the, in the age we're in now, there's so much transparency, Like this podcast, everyone just gets to see everything. Sure. Cool, man. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Retaining people is a whole nother thing. It's, it's especially when you're a small business, like how do well, I could go somewhere else and get 50 grand more? It's, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can, but you're not going to have the impact that you do here, right? You're not going to, I always like to say we treat our, and I like to think we treat our employees really well in terms of the flexibility and the freedom and like everyone's pretty autonomous. We all, we have a great training program where we, people know what is expected of them and they know what to do. And as long as they're doing that, we're pretty, I'm pretty hands off for the most part. We're not busting people's chops to go do crazy things. We're not supposed to do. We try to find people's passion, what they love doing and say, okay, you go do that. And then part of me being the easy button is I'll do the stuff you don't want to do. No, you don't want to go on site in California to break into a building because you hate flying. Don't worry, I'll go do it. And that's also part of being the business owner as well. But it's retaining employees. It's You always think it's expensive to retain them. It's a lot more expensive to replace them. A lot more expensive to replace them. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I just wanted to go back five minutes. Outsourcing. So I think this is important. I think this is important for a few reasons. I think you've got to declutter your mind. You've got to be able to focus on the business. If you work at that old saying that everyone's heard, you've got to work on the business and not totally in it or you're going to miss things. But I think if this is done, you can do a lot more of the stuff that makes you happy. I think you can be less stressed. So I just want to dig in. When you say outsourcing, what, what do you outsource? Like, How do you go about that? Can you lift the lid on that a bit, bro? Yeah, for sure. You don't, obviously outsourcing things, there's an expense associated with that. Like whenever you have someone outsource your payroll or your benefits or your HR or your taxes, there's a cost associated with that. So should you go out day one and be like, let me spend, let me find 40 grand a year to give to people to outsource stuff? Probably not. You probably got to do that yourself for a little bit. But once you start getting up and running to the point where it's like, hey, my effort my energy is better focused elsewhere in the business, like maybe doing sales and maybe doing some engineering work 
where it says, okay, it makes sense to outsource this stuff. So I'm not spending time doing that. That's really when you should be outsourcing, in my opinion. I'm not like, we're not Microsoft by any means. I'm just a guy that started Pentest business with a bunch of nerds two years ago, and we happen to be doing pretty well. But that's what I did is I was doing a lot of this stuff for a while. And at some point, it makes sense for us to use a payroll company to do payroll and to use cyber insurance and insurance care to find us the best rates for insurance and a marketing company to do our website instead of like you trying to do it all. And once you get to that point, it's pretty nice because then it allows you to, you wake up every day in the morning doing what you love to doing, do. And for me, it's, I love building those partner relationships. I like sharing what we've learned on podcasts like we're doing right now and speaking. And I still, there's still engineering work that I love to do, like the really complicated, complex, intricate things where it's a huge maze, but I get to wake up and do that still and not wake up and figure out how much money I owe the IRS. That's someone else's job now, which is nice. And it's never, and it never goes down, right? It always goes yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Which is not listen, nice. Listen, if it's going up, it's not a bad thing, mate. It must, it must mean there's a fair bit of money coming in. But no, I think as well, I don't want to probably won't dive too much into kind of accounting and stuff like that. But like when you're outsourcing stuff, that doesn't show up on the balance sheet as a liability, whereas obviously permanent staff show up on the balance sheet as a liability. I think if you can get some basics on accounting and just be able to, it's not that hard to read a P&L or a balance sheet and stuff like that. And if you can if you can grasp these things, let's say if, if stuff's outsourced, obviously it's, yes, is a cost, but it is less stressful because you have got less liability on, on, on your business. So again, mate, smart move. Is there anything that, that, that you strictly wouldn't outsource or... Yeah, there's a lot of theories for this, right? And I read a book recently and there, I can't remember what book or who it was, but I remember it might've been Peter Thiel's book. And he had a pretty strong stance on outsourcing. And his theory was when you outsource something to someone, they're never they're never invested in it as much as a full-time employee. If you outsource your accounting, they're never going to be invested on saving as much money as taxes on you because it's your business. So there's theories like that. Because of that, you got to be selective. Do we outsource pen testing? No. And mostly because that's what we do, right? That's our baby. It's very important to me that whoever is doing the job is fully invested into hack it, right? Into our quality of work, into how we do things, into our deliverables, and really is obsessed with customer satisfaction and making sure that customer is happy and making sure that we're doing everything that we possibly can to satisfy whatever our customer's requirement is. So in terms of that, that's probably one thing I wouldn't outsource who knows as things get crazier it's there's i'm sure there's going to be a need for it at some point but that's just something i want to outsource there's a lot of hype around outsourcing leadership right bringing someone else in to strategically run the company and things like that i haven't been too favorable of that and we've seen it play out at other companies in the past where they'll bring someone in to run it who has no cybersecurity experience comes from a completely different background and it's just absolutely clueless in terms of how the company should be run how the company should be marketed what the industry is all about and i think that's a big mistake and a lot of for a lot of people is bringing in some leadership from that i don't know sold books at a library before Mm -hmm. built some other company and i think this is a different animal like i said if you're not full if you're not a full-time employer and owner and you're not a vested interest in the company i just don't think an outsourced person is going to care as much as you do about success yeah, I, th- I was just thinking then, if anyone does come in and outsource the leadership, the values, the mission, the vision, that's got to just be so aligned. Because if it's not, it's going to it's gonna ruin the culture and stuff like that. And and I suppose also the other thing is, how long are they going to stick around for? Even if they like they're, you're perfectly aligned with everything, if it's outsourcing, he or she just 
shoots off, I suppose that creates a problem in itself. But I'm sure some countries must do it well. But yeah, it's scary to me thinking about outsourcing the, the leadership like that. Yeah, it's that's a good point too. It's like you think about most seasoned executives, they're in their 60s, right? How much longer are they going to be around for to see things through in the company? You also got to think of like a cultural fit. It's like you bring in a guy who's a suit and tie guy into hack it, right? We're us, we're not suit and tie guys, right? We're just just not how we operate. We don't ever, and we don't. The, the important thing is we don't ever try to present ourselves as someone who's going to go up on stage in a suit and tie and present pie charts. That's just not us. So yeah, it's got to be a good cultural fit too. And yeah, I think finding that's really hard. And to your point, finding someone who fits culturally into your company and also believes in everything that you believe so militantly that they're literally invested in it is really difficult to find. Yeah, thanks, mate. So you're at seven now. Things are going well. Everyone's schedules are busy. What's coming up? I'd like to know what's going to happen next year. I'd love to know where Hackett's going to be in, say, three to five years' time. What's on the horizon? Yeah, no, I think it's... I was talking to a friend of mine who built a pen testing company and I asked him those same questions. I'm like, like, what, what would you do if you were us and this is what you're doing and this is what your P and L looked like, what would you be doing? And he's the one thing I would be doing is not being so focused on what three or five years are going to look like. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, the one thing I regret is not enjoying, not enjoying it when, as it came, you're always like looking for the next deal and looking for the next acquisition, looking for the next engineers. Just take some time. Like you guys are doing really well. Take some time to enjoy it. And I thought that was a pretty profound statement because like none of us do that. We're always like looking for the next thing. He's like, yeah, before you know it, he's like, like my company did, we sold and it was all gone. He's like, and, like and I never really took time to enjoy it. So I think that's trying to do that more. So not really looking, but you know, the, uh, the business side of me is like, where do I want to be in a year? We're at seven employees. Now I'm hoping to hire four more next year. It's going to be a mix of sales and operation operations and pen testers. Our deal flow warrants that. So we're going to be growing a lot that way. We're rolling out some really cool new services. We're rolling out pen testing as a service, which is something that we've rolled out to about half a dozen customers already. And it's been awesome. So continuous pen testing, some advanced attack surface mapping that we're doing, which is basically asset discovery. That's things you'll see uh, bigger boutiques doing, but we're going to try to roll it out to the medium-sized business and the large business as well. Right now, it's really marketed when you look at some of the bigger companies towards the enterprise. Rolling that out is going to be really fun and exciting, and we're building our own custom tooling to do that so that we can automate a lot of that, discover assets, identify the ones that should be for, targeted for further testing, then adding that to our P-Test platform and doing continuous testing that way. And that's a lot of what I've been focusing on lately is doing a lot of that. And then, of course, there's building the service around that, building the pricing around that, building the scoping around that, which is really fun stuff and stuff I love doing. So we've been doing a lot of that. So I think in the next year, we're going to see us rolling that out. Three to five years from now, man, I've, I have no clue. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I'm, I'm still young, uh, so I got a long runway in front of me in terms of what my future looks like. And people are like, what do you think the future of Hack is? I think it's I think the lifestyle business is what, what we're trying to do here. And yeah, it's been going great so far. So there's really no reason to change that. Cool, mate. James, there's some really good stuff there that um, I, ju- I just want to unpack. So, so- you're productizing by the sounds of it you're essentially productizing certain aspects of your service which i think is great by the way so you've been spending time doing that which again that's pretty cool you must have things structured nicely to be in a position to do that which is great so 
you're productizing the service to cater for bigger companies. So again, you're probably, am I right in saying, is it fair to say that you're, you're doing that so you can go to market with, with these products and, and open up these bigger companies? And also, is productizing your service enabling you to expand more within your current client base as well? For sure. Yeah. And one of the main drivers around productizing everything is when you think about, and for and you know, anyone listening that wants to go after partners and things like that, block of hours are great. And a lot of companies will build block of hours. But when you go into a partner who's, let's say, you let's say you go into a technology reseller, they want a pen test partner. They're not used to selling hourly, right? They're used to selling SKUs. They're used to selling firewalls and servers and antivirus. From our perspective, like we need to product, like we need to skew things out. We need to productize things so that these sales reps can start selling things that sell like they're used to selling. Like, hey, I got an external of 20 IPs. This is what the pricing grid says. This is how I price it. It allows them and enables them to be more autonomous where they're not always reaching out to you and your staff for questions and things like that. So that's been, that's a big part of us, like productizing that stuff for the new services we're offering that we're developing. The, you're correct in the assumption that most of this is going to be for larger businesses. It's, there's probably not a need for 50 employee companies to do attack surface mapping and pen testing of the service. Uh, a lot of our customers that are doing this now are big software companies, big so- uh, security software companies that have a lot of cloud assets that are spinning up a lot of new applications and APIs and things like that where they need on-demand testing on a regular basis and they don't have three weeks to wait between a signed statement of work and an accepted rules of engagement and assigning resources and a project manager and kicking things off. We're adapting to those needs. And I don't think anything we're doing is relatively is new per se. I think there's a lot of other companies that do it, but it's new for us. And whenever we create something like every company is we want to put our own flavor and our own spin on it. And for me, that's the fun part. That's what I love doing. Thanks, buddy. And James, am I, am I right in sense? So you, when we start talking about larger companies, if I compare that to recruitment, the, the sales uh, timelines and life cycle is longer. So for those people listening, you, you've had to get to a certain level to be able to, to do all this and to hit these kind of big fish, if you like, with a productized service. Because if you started off like that, you'd probably just burn through all your your cash, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You got to focus on, it's like everything, right? Like the big companies and the big fish have a lot of people that want to work with them. I know people that started doing pen test companies. Yeah. I only want to work for NASA and the space force. And I'm like, the thing about working with smaller companies is a lot of pen testers. I don't like, that's not fun work, right? It's not like you can get into a big company with a big active directory environment and go and have a ton of fun. Right. These small comments, 50 endpoints and 50 domain users, you're not going to, it's not going to be like your hack the box lags that you're used to doing. It's just not, there's just not as much juicy stuff like that. However, what people need to understand is like those small customers need what you're doing. And if you provide good value to them, they pay bills, right? Like they will, mm-hmm. like they can pay your bills while you can grow and build your team and then go after larger customers later down the, later in your, in your venture. But it, it the small customers still need pen testing. They still need someone. And when I say pen testing, they need someone who's, I think a lot of small business pen testing has been people going in there and running an SS scan. There's a need for really good qualified OSCP, OSCP, CRTO level pen testing at the small business level. And if you can provide that to them and convey that value and do a great job, 
there's no reason why, like from a referral basis, they want to refer you to other small businesses and other peers in their groups who also need your services. Cutting your teeth on that, even though internally, hey, I'm quote unquote better than this, right? I should be doing a pen test for Tesla. Unfortunately, they're probably not going to want to work with Acme Consulting out of Delaware, right? It's just not... They're going to want to work with the big guys. So until you can get that right, just cutting your teeth on those small jobs is a great way to, to start out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just for just anyone listening, make no mistake about it. If your business strategy is, I'm just going to start, set up and work for Tesla or NASA, like you better have a lot of PE or VC <laughs> money behind you because that is an expensive strategy. <laughs> yeah. You have a cr- or some insane marketing, like to the yeah, ways yeah. I've never seen it before. Yeah, or a really rich woman, dad. <laughs> Yeah, rich parents helps. Yeah, if you have really wealthy parents, a sweet trust fund, yeah, then that business model might actually work out for you. Unfortunately, I don't have either of those. Yeah, it was, we had, yeah, we cut our, we still, like our main customers are medium to large businesses. Like I said, we do work with a lot of small businesses too. And our kind of thing there was, I'm like, they all need it. Right? They all need someone to come in there and show them vulnerabilities and help them improve their cybersecurity. That's not to say there's a lot of companies that are five employees that say, hey, James, I want a pen test. I have no problem saying, hey, you really don't. Like you, what you need is you need to talk to an MSP and get EDR products and work on your general IT hygiene before you get a pen test done. I think part of that honesty and that transparency just builds trust in your company. And if there's a lot of profit-based pen test companies that will say, oh, everyone needs a pen test. I don't care who you are. If you're a one-person accounting firm, pay us five grand, I'll do a pen test. It's very disingenuous. Tom's like we talked earlier. I think if you're doing this for profit, if you're doing this for money and not passion, you're probably not going to go far. No, definitely, mate. And I can relate it to on the recruitment side as well. You get approached for rules. Oh, can you just fill this? Can you, you get stuff that's miles outside your sweet spot? It shocks clients sometimes. You go, no, that's that's not for us. And they're like, what? Especially if they've been used to being chased down by agencies. And I get quite a bit of inbound now as well. And it's really fascinating watching their reaction. Like they just, they just they can't quite get their head around it. Yeah. And I'll, it's funny because sometimes I'll ask, I know someone, I'm like, hey, man, can you like design, like we're rolling out whatever, a trade show booth. Can you design it for me? And they're like, yeah, no, I can't. Like, I, we just don't, we don't specialize in that. And I'm like, wow. Like they literally just told me no, but when they do that, I really appreciate it because I'm like, they're really yeah. sticking to their niche and they're good at what yeah. they, maybe they're used to doing like websites. They're great. They must be great at websites if they're turning down additional work for something that mm. is a little bit of a stretch, but nothing insane. But yeah, that's really what I think every business should be doing and just operating that way. And that's what's good about starting your own businesses. You can do that. You can operate the way that you feel is right and that you feel is transparent and that you feel is the best way to operate. You can, and also, mate, you know what it's like working. Like, if I think about any services industry, whether it's a cybersecurity consultancy business or a recruitment agency, I think you, to a certain extent, if you're if you're in a position where you have, when you're saying yes to everything, it's when you've got clients that are messing you around and not coming, and it, it's just more. I'm just too old for it, James. It's just more hassle than it than, than it's worth, and. I know it's for us as an agency. The minute we got selective and we stopped saying yes to everything, life just became, we actually did, I think, I know financially we did better. And just a day-to-day was just nicer. The only thing I worry about, and I'm like, when we say, if when we do say no to stuff, I'm like, shit, will they ever ask us again? I'm like, no, but to, do come back to us with others. If you need us in the future, oh, yeah. like, you can still ask us. So I'll, I'm always like, oh, sorry, it's no now. Don't feel like you can't come back. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 100%. I think the say yes and figure it out later thing, like that works until it doesn't when it's like, you're doing so much of the work in your wheelhouse that you just, 
like saying yes to something else and finding a way to figure it out just doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like our belief is if we can't do something and do it really well and that's right in our wheelhouse, we really don't want to do it. Like we're not in the business of doing something that we think we're good enough at, right? Oh yeah, I can do forensics because I'm good enough. Like we we turn away that kind of work all the time just because we don't do it and I'm not trying to... And there's, there's customers that come to us and say they want something and they would have they have no idea what it is. They're like, hey, I want to do digital forensics on this notebook because Sally's kid installed Fortnite on it and now there's a malware on it. They would not know what a good forensics job was and what isn't, but I know what it is and I know we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, we turn that business away all the time. And I, I think that's important to what you said, right? If you're doing work with someone and they're turning that stuff away and they're saying no to that stuff when they really could have said yes, it just goes to show that they have really good business practices. It, it, it doesn't also as well, mate. Like I think you'll be doing this and I, I think I'll be doing this as well. It's, it's, I think we probably take for granted when you're doing something all the time and you're genuinely a specialist at it, when we move like on a security search, like the pace and velocity we move at is insane because we just do that all day, every day. So if I took a CFO search on that was double the fee, it might take me like five, six, seven times as long. I don't, I don't know anyone that does that. And if it's miles outside the wheelhouse, I think like that forensics job, I bet it will take you quite a long time and you've got to work it out. And then there's that's not, you get it. You get, it, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah. But it's no, but it's knowing that line, right? Knowing like, where are you good and where aren't you good? And what, what are you willing to say no to? And I think starting out, like I didn't want to say no to anything because I had the same fear. I'm like, if I say no to this, then they'll never come back. And the crazy thing is when you say no, they still come back. And a lot of them thank you and appreciate it. And it's even better if you know someone that can do it, right? Hey, we don't do this, but we have, we know someone who's really good at this. And that's part of building those relationships as well as like business owners, knowing business owners and knowing other people in the industry so that if you have an opportunity for them, they can go in and go at bat for you at that customer and do a great job. Definitely, mate. Big question here. Two years in, if you were talking to James now, literally just first day, I was going to say first day in the office, we don't, we don't do that anymore. First day, long story short, what, what do you know now, mate, that you wish you knew before you set up? Yeah, no, I think tough question. I think of the big part of it is what we talked about earlier. Like it's not about money. It's not about P and L it's about fulfillment. It's about personal fulfillment. What do you want to do? I've always had that, but of course being an engineer and not being exposed to the business side of things, you're always like, Oh my God, I'm going to make a ton of money. And then you learn very early on. I don't really think yeah, the money's cool so I can keep paying my employees and we can keep having Hackett to call home, but it's not why we do it. It's about fulfillment. And if you're chasing the right things there, that that's something I already knew, but it was just validated when I started. Hey, this is okay. We're doing like I'm doing this for the right reasons. The other thing is like outsourcing the things that I don't want to do. Like starting out, I'm like doing everything. Um, Sunday nights were the nights I would go and invoice and Monday morning is the day that I would go and do P&L and run financial statements and pay vendors and stuff like that. And it's just stuff I hated doing. And it took me way too long to outsource it because I didn't think as like a business owner, you want to maintain control. I want to control everything. I want to do all this stuff. And then at some point, like, all right, I just got to let go. This isn't, this isn't healthy. Like we should, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. So if I start over again, if I was talking to myself two years ago, I'd be like, just start outsourcing stuff as soon as you don't want to do it. I probably would have saved so much time and so much energy doing that. Yeah. The other thing is like one thing a guy I knew told me when I first started, I was just remember is like money is oxygen. 
And I thought that was a really good statement because he's got a small business. Money is oxygen. Like you run out of money, you run out of oxygen, you're dead. Like you can't do that. Early on, it's, you don't really, you don't know anything. Basically, it's just, you look at how much you spend, how much you bring in. And it's great. As long as you bring in more than you're spending, you're fine. It's just, it's really no different than your personal expenses. If you're making more than you're spending, you're fine. And, you know, running a business can be that easy too. But that's a big part is just making sure that we always have the mindset, the side of the mindset of money is oxygen and being as lean as possible while still able to provide a great life for engineers and paying them above market value and giving them great benefits and having enough resources that we need to do what we need to do. That's more than enough. Mate, I love it. It sounds like you're having fun, mate. I really like it. And when I break it down, it makes sense. If you're outsourcing the stuff that you don't like and you're in the service, jumping on the tools now and again, helping the guys, making sure the guys are cool. If you're doing all those things, it's logical. You're going to be happy. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And it's like just building a good team, right? If you build a good team of guys that, you know, and girls and people that you like working with, it's hard to go wrong. And if I wake up every day and the, like, I've been working with my team for so long. It's just, it's, they're literally part of my family. It's like, we, we hang out, like we talk outside of work right? We call each other on the weekend. It's not just, it's just what we do. And but the hard part is fine. Then when you hire new people, you get, you're insanely selective about it because you're like, I want them to be able to experience this as well. I want them to be fully vested in this as well. So that, that's why I like becoming super selective in a hiring process and why it's not always about who's the best engineer, right? It's about who's the best fit for your company. No, it's good. But when you're fully remote and you like the people you work with and you love what you do, it, it really, the lines between work and it does blend like a lot. Like I do bits off the phone now and it's, it's not, I quite like it because it's like I'm always working, but never working. It's Yeah. It, it really like, it humanizes people. You know, like before, like you go to the office every day, but you don't really know. You never like, mm. t- all you know about this person is he wears a shirt and tie every day at the office. But like, when you get on a Zoom call with a guy and he just got out, done working out and he's dripping in sweat, it's like it humanizes them. It makes you feel like like this guy's human just like me, right? We're all just human beings out here doing what we're doing. So I really love it. Like I always tell like my team, don't try to be something you're not. Like even when we do like presentations, I'm like, if you don't, if you want to wear a suit and tie because you like dressing up, go for it. If you don't, just don't try to be something you're not. Mate, the suit and tie thing's dead. Can you imagine if I rocked up with a suit and tie for this pod I, today? You'd probably put the call down. Yeah, I, I would leave. i just turn my computer off and be like, <laughs> like, who, is this some kind of Thomas deepfake? What's going on here? I don't know. Like, I've never seen this before. There's something weird going on. Mate, we're definitely going to run over time, so I'm going to try and ask you two questions in one. See if you yeah. know this. How do you decide how much to quote on an engagement? And how do you work it? Like, how do you manage workflow? You, you've got, seven there's a team of seven that's multiple livelihoods that are, you, you're responsible for so how do you work out if you've got enough businessmen how do you know how much to charge yeah uh, that's a tough question to figure out so we charge like i said we don't do hourly everything's fixed fee it's roughly based off hourly rates okay how long do we think this is going to take so there's like mad scientist equations that go into some of it but for the most part it's okay we think we can charge we think this is a profitable number per endpoint of external per number of APIs in this web app. So it's all, it's volume based. It's number of that it's fixed fee. It's roughly based on hours. People are always like, how do you charge fixed fee? What if it goes over? I'm like, if we go over, but it always averages out. Like I might go over on one job, I might go under on another job, but it always balances out. And like every quarter I look at the numbers and it's, there's no reason to change it. You know what I mean? There's no reason to do something else. The P and L looks good. 
the employees are busy, right? We were, we have, we're healthy financially. So I, I, there's just really no reason there. But yeah, that's basically how we do it. It's endpoint based and volume based. And basically it's an estimated number of hours and it always seems to work out pretty well. Mate, I just think it's hard at first, like when you've got clients that you've known for a while and they trust you, you trust them, it's all cool. That's when it gets really easy. I think when it, at first it's like, oh God, what do they, there's always that little bit of the unknown. It's Would you say that that's a fair thing to say? That is, yeah, they, there, there is always unknown. And it's either like you come in and you're really high, right, price-wise. And like, I don't know, like, why are these guys twice the price of the competitors? And then you really got to flex your muscles. And then sometimes you come in low and like, why are these guys so much lower than these guys? Like, are they doing the same amount of work? So there's really, there's both, and we've been on both ends of the spectrum. But yeah, if the customer knows you and they trust you. And the big thing is if you come as a referral from another customer, they know you're the real deal. They know that you know what you're doing. So you get to avoid those kind of conversations. Cool, mate. Cool. Book or podcast that's had the most positive effect on your career so far? Oh, man. What podcasts the best effect on my career so far? Apart from this one. Apart, yours, obviously, would be number <laughs> one. It's not, it's not even a comparison. I used to listen to a lot of podcasts when I was traveling a lot. I haven't been traveled a ton lately, but Jacko Willing's podcast was always really good even though I think he has a voice that makes me fall asleep because I always fall asleep on airplanes, but it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Jocko's podcast. I've always been a big fan of a lot of books like zero to one by Peter Thiel has been a really great book. And even though I don't think our company f- is going what we call zero to one, it's a, just a great inspiration, but especially if you're looking to start a business, like to get inspiration from of making that jump and what it should be all about. And he has some great ideals and philosophies in there that I think we resonate with a lot. But yeah, those are the two things that I think have helped me a lot. And then a lot of the things that have helped me is just figuring out, talking to some of friends and mentors and advisors on how they grew their businesses and what they did. And then I think a lot of people that start a business, you got to figure out what, what doesn't work. And I think a lot of people have bad work experiences. I think they're opportunities to learn on how not to run a business. Hey, I worked for this company and I didn't like how leadership did this or they were bad leadership. It gives you honestly hope. It's like if this person is so bad at what they're doing that in this company is mildly successful, I bet I could go and do it and be even better. So I think there's, I really think there's lessons in everything, whether or not good things happen or bad things happen. And I think what we're doing here is a combination of both. James, mate, wicked. I've really enjoyed this, mate. Well, you're already smashing it, mate. I think you're going to continue to smash it. You, your communication, should have touched on it a bit more, but your communication style, mate, is like you've got a very laid back style, but obviously you get shit done as well. Do you know what I mean? It's a really, it's a really nice balance, mate. And honestly, I can see why you've had the success you've had so far, mate. And I think you deserve all of it. If anyone's listening, mate, and they want to reach out to you on, on LinkedIn and, and pick your brain and stuff like that, is is that okay? Yeah, no. that's one thing we're instrumental in is I've had people call me before, even just looking for jobs. I'm like, how many people did you email? I'm like I emailed 30 people. You're the first person I ever responded. It's like, I know Thomas, I know you're about this is helping the community, right? Helping people learn about pen testing. And I think about like where I was when I was just like in college and the person that actually told me about pen testing and got my feet wet and helped me train and learn. And even if I was a sales guy at first, but Doug Gerth was my sales director there's stuff that he taught me 10 years ago that I still teach people now. And it's, I was just an idiotic college graduate and he was like, you're willing to trade me and help me and do things like that. So I think we all owe it to those people. So yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, even set up a call, like I'm more than happy to discuss anything 
with them because it's all the more pen testers there are, the more people there are emulating hackers and the more defenses there are that businesses are building. And really that just benefits all of us. So there's no reason to, to not do that. Wicked, mate. All right, buddy. Anything uh, that I haven't asked or do you think we've covered everything? I think we got everything, man. I just want to thank you. I know we met over two years ago now. It was before I started my company. You've been grinding hard too and you've been on social media and you're doing a ton of cool stuff and you interview some people that I look up to and are some of the best pen testers in the world. You're killing it too, man. I think you need to do a a podcast like this, but it's someone interviewing you and talking about your career and stuff like that because you deserve that too. I mean, that's too scary, man. I like being this side. I'm comfortable this side. <laughs> yeah, I like asking the questions. I don't like being asked the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough about me. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> Who cares about me? Let's just talk yeah, about yourself. Yeah. Do you know what, though, mate? I, honestly, if I, I've never been the other side, but I don't know if and when I do. Honestly, I'll be nervous. I promise you, I will be really nervous. <laughs> it's the first business podcast that I've done where I've been on the other side where someone's asked me questions other than like, how would you hack a business? Like it's the first time I talked about like the hack it and the operations and what we do. And so it's been a lot of fun. I've never had these questions asked of me before. So it's all like completely off the cuff, like telling it like it is, which I think is great. Yeah. Honestly, mate, it's really good. And it's it's adding, I, I know from speaking to the listeners before we came on, it's added huge amounts of value. So James, thank you, my friend. Have a brilliant weekend. And listen, I'm sure we'll speak soon, bro. You too, man. Thanks again. Take care. Cheers, mate.